prepare yourself to be blown away by the seismic sounds and scrutiny of... After Shots Podcast with Chris Aiken and Matt Hartnett. All right, it is Aftershocks podcast number two of Aftershocks. It's me, Chris Aiken. I don't know where Matt is, but uh, that's all right, because I don't know that I need Matt when I've got this guy on the line with us. He is the um, he is the main man, I guess, of the band Witch Skull, a band that I, I'm going to be perfectly honest, I just discovered here in the last in the last couple of weeks, but it has quickly become one of my favorites playing that solid style of just heavy doomy metal with a tinge of a modern flavor but mostly mostly if you liked black sabbath but you wanted to see progression that is what i would call witch skull and on the line right now we've got a uh, joel green joel how are you man hey really good thanks chris uh thanks for having us sure well, Joel, as I said, I didn't know of Witch Skull, probably because you guys are about, oh, I don't know, 10,000 miles away from me to where I haven't run into you at a club. But um, for those that are not initiated to Witch Skull, why don't we start start there with you maybe giving us a little little history of the band and how you guys came to be? Yeah, okay. I'll try and be, I'll try and be quick. Um Marcus, the guitarist and singer, we're a three-piece, but Marcus and I went through school together, so we've known each other since we were eight years old and played in speed metal bands when we were 15. Um, Marcus has a cousin, Caroline. She moved to New York and met, um, married a guy called Tony. Tony came back to Canberra, and um, so the only person Tony knew was Caroline's cousin, which was Marcus. So that's how the three of us got together. And, um, yeah, we started in 2014, uh, and this is our third album and the second one to come out through Rise Above. Sure. Now, you know, you you guys definitely play a style of metal that is, I, I would say, is on the, the rebound. It was huge, huge in the early 90s, and then it sort of went away, at least here in the States. Then it, it, it died down for a while, and now it has come back in the last five years or so with a vengeance, which probably is like perfect timing for the forming of your band, no? Yeah, it's 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 hard to know. Like the three of us are, are older, so we sort of, you know, all of our influences are like, you know, Sabbath, Motorhead, Priest, that sort of thing, Venom and all the old school stuff, you know what I mean? But as well as even old stuff going back to Deep Purple and Zeppelin. So for us, we were always going to sound like we sound just because of those influences that were the same for all of us. Uh, I suppose in some ways it's kind of maybe a little just bit lucky that the style of stuff we do, you know, there's been a, a more of an interest in it over the last couple of years. So, yeah, luck, I guess. <laughs> sure. Now let's talk about the current release, uh, A Driftwood Cross. What an amazing for before I even get into the music of it, what an amazing sound you guys have captured. Talk about a huge sound. It's it's got the the cool fuzzy guitars, but yet it's very clean. Everything about it sounds very uh, big for lack of a for lack of a better term term. You know, how how was it that you guys captured such a big sound 
on what I'm what I'm going to consider is a is a live live ish recording. Uh, yeah, look, thanks so much. That means a lot to us because that's definitely where we come from. Uh, everything's just been recorded live, and then Marcus just goes in and does an you know additional guitar or two and the vocals afterwards. But all of the beds are done um, completely live without without click tracks and what whatnot. So, um, you know, we we spent we we made sure this time around we we went to a studio specifically designed for pulling big good drum sounds. Uh, so all of the beds were done in a in a studio called Toyland in Melbourne. And after the beds were laid, we moved back to Goat Sound, which is the studio and producer that we work with um, for all, have done for all three records. So I suppose it was just about trying to capture a live sort of groove and but focus on trying to pull the best sounds we can in an analog sense by, you know, not no sound replacing or sampling, you know. Mm-hmm, definitely. And and um, Jason Fuller, you know, I, I know his name from Blood Duster, but wow, what a what a what a production guy he is, huh? Uh, he's he's absolutely amazing. Like, um, you know, if you we did that first album we we did with him, we just went down to maybe do an EP, a couple of songs, and we ended up recording, uh, you know, recording twelve and releasing eight songs on that first album in in a few days. Uh, for a cost of only like $2,800 or something. Okay. So, you know, I, I just, you know, I love that record. I love the sound of it. It's so raw. And and the fact that we captured that kind of sound for that sort of money in that time frame has a hell of a lot to do with with with, um, with Jason's sort of ability. He's And he's really good at mixing. I think there's a bit of a lost art of mixing these days because everything's so crushed and squashed you don't you don't have that sort of finding instruments to sit in pockets, and I think he's managed to to sort of do that on 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 all of the records and and just keep things sounding really organic. Sure, and, and that's the one that's one of the really really nice things about a Driftwood Cross is that when you listen to it, like the, my first listen to it, I'll, I'll be honest, was on a computer through computer speakers, and it sounded cool. You know, it sounded cool like everything else sounds cool, but the minute I put on some headphones and really got to listen to it man you 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 pick up so many nuances in the in the playing kind of the the way the bass plays off the drums and the way the guitars you know kind of rip through the sound and the 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 vocal doesn't feel overlaid as much as it feels like an equal instrument to the part and i don't know if i'm doing a good job or a terrible job of explaining this but it just sounds so good in in headphones Oh, man, I think you described it really well because that was the process that we went through to to make the record. It was really important for us to to try and create things more organically than um, you know. I've got a, I've got you know some personal sort of issues with the way modern music is made, and it's mm-hmm. nothing to do with the bands or the songwriting. The bands are great and the songs are great, but I think we've we've got this obsession with trying to make things perfect and machine-like and it actually is detrimental to to the listener because the listener just hears these snares that are sampled and are the exact same in you know intensity with each hit and your brain gets fatigued and switches off so you'll hear errors and mistakes through our through all of our records but 
that's that's what humans do when they play, you know. And mm-hmm. and I just think that the it, it, we need to stop focusing, in my opinion, on precision and just focus a bit more on groove and letting things kind of breathe a bit more, you know. Sure. And you know what's interesting by you saying that if you look at the the bands that are arguably the big the best bands of all time, whether it would be a Black Sabbath, an ACDC, uh, Led Zeppelin, whatever, you know, pick, pick a band other than the Beatles who really went crazy, you know, in the studio. But all the others kind of let their mistakes breathe and be part of the music. I mean, Led Zeppelin especially. I, I cannot even imagine if Led Zeppelin would have recorded a clean album. It would have been terrible. Oh, look, I, I totally agree. And obviously um, you can hear uh, not mistakes with ACDC, but you feel that groove is natural. You know, Phil Rudd's my favourite drummer of all time. He never used click tracks. He's exceptional about laying down the, the fattest, toughest swing and grooves ever, and same as Bonham maybe. But you know what I mean? They, they were more focused on, on actually creating a groove as opposed to creating perfection. And, and that's the thing. It doesn't matter. Like, you know, as a drummer, I've spent more time, you know, as I'm getting older, trying to be as even as I can with my snare hits while I'm tracking so that you don't have to try and manipulate those to, to you know, uh, after the fact. So it's just allowing things to breathe more, and it's just what I like. You know, I, I just think it's it's easier for us because we're older guys and we don't have uh, a lot of the baggage that maybe some younger bands are forced to carry, you know. Sure. And, you, you know, as a, as a failed drummer and a really not good drummer, I can tell you for a fact that it's, if you end up playing perfect, you end up getting replaced by a drum machine anyway. So it's much better these days that you play from the heart instead of playing perfect. Yeah, well, that's how we approach things. We're aware of if you have to have um, pretty solid drum tracks laid down to make things, uh, you know, an album, if it's got poor drum takes and poor drum sounds, it's it, you can't really get away from that. So I'm very lucky that the guys in, in the band are very – believe that sort of ethos as well and but we consider it to be the beds so we do the the rhythm guitar bass and drums all live all at once and and then if there's a mistake we just try the song again but you know some songs like this silent place that we just did the video for that was the only take we didn't even do another take in the studio so that and that that was weird like because we'd only finished the song a week before we'd only played it a few times and then all of a sudden that's the first single and that was the only time we played it you know now, now whose decision was that for it to be the first single rise above's or was it was it the one that you guys liked the best or uh, <laughs> it's a, it's a couple of things it's really different for us and we just thought you know what i mean because we don't answer to anyone we just thought well let's put it out there but it was also we were very pushed for time with um you know, the, for when the album was coming out, that we went for one of the shorter songs. So it was either going to be the second song or the third song because they just happened to be um, the shorter ones. Um, sure. In the end, we just decided to go with something that was completely different to what we've normally done just because we can. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, talking about, about the album, which is called A Driftwood Cross for people that need to look it up, which is all of you, um, the it's... It's kind of, I don't want to say stylistically all over the map, but certainly it covers a lot of different ground. You have some really big, doomy, slow, 
songs, you know, but then at the same time, you have faster stuff like Nero's order or, or even some more easily consumable stuff like, like Baphomet's child as an example, very, very catchy, very, you know, you hear it one time and it like kind of, it's, it's the proverbial bubble gum in your hair song that just kind of that, that groove sticks with you. Do you guys naturally write a lot of different styles or is that just where you were when you were creating this music that you were trying some different, some different styles and different, you know, um, different phrasing and stuff to come up with these songs? Yeah, we, we spend most of our time jamming ideas, so we don't tend to bring songs to the rehearsal space. Okay. Uh, a lot of stuff comes from just purely jamming so that there's not even a riff there. Uh, and then what sometimes happens is Marcus will come up with a really good melody line and then we know, hey, that vocal line really works. Uh, we want to stick with that. And then sometimes the riffs get written around the, the, the vocal line. So there's different ways. Some songs write quickly, some are longer, but we tend to not try and finish the arrangement. We let the songs breathe in the rehearsal space for as long as it takes until all of a sudden we realise we've played the song the same way a few times so we realize that the melody's com the sorry the arrangement is complete so it's always kept really open-ended and organic and you can generally hear if the song needs something more or not if you live with them for long enough so that's why i think it probably has a bit of an organic kind of feel to it because they're written and recorded in a very organic sort of manner so and so then the creative process then is very collaborative it's it's definitely not lead guy and two guys that that follow one guy correct oh, it's, it's very collaborative like without a doubt marcus would bring the vast majority of of riffs and he also brings you know all of the melodies but there's there's definitely a thing that that Tony and I do as a, as a rhythm section that will often be very different to what Marcus's original idea may have been. So we tend to, we tend to, we sound as we sound because of, of all three of us being, being involved. Um, but obviously we're very lucky. Look, Tony writes amazing riffs as well. So I think we're, we're lucky on that front and, and I contribute riffs from time to time, not as many as, the other guys but the fact that all of us have that involvement and all of us can play sort of you know i, I play guitar pretty poorly but tony's <laughs> originally a guitarist so with with three of us being able to contribute ideas it, it means we're never kind of short on um short on sort of of ideas to sort of begin writing sure i gotta tell you man that's the formula for a band staying together for a long time the fact that everybody feels like an equal partner and not and nobody feels like they're being dragged along. Uh, absolutely. You know, we sort of grew up in the year where the Motorhead song, you know, all the Motorhead records were Kill Mr. Clark Taylor. Now, I'm guessing Filthy didn't write, you know, anywhere near as much as the other two. But I remember them once saying, we can't be turning up to rehearsals in Rolls Royces and Filthy turning up on his push bike. So we had to credit everyone the same. <laughs> but you're right. I think if you have that um, that 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 sort of camaraderie, and we we sort of we're more like a brotherhood um, because we feel like brothers. I've been friends with Marcus since I was eight years old. We fight like brothers. We hang out like brothers. You know what I mean? We can say anything to each other. And there's a there's a connection between all three of us that's stronger than just 
three dudes in a band, you know what I mean? And at this age, it's even better because we're not trying to change the world. We're only trying to do what suits us, and it doesn't really matter to us if people don't like it because we just do what the three of us like, and and we're lucky to have a label like Rise Above support us and, and let us be whoever we are, you know? No question. Now I did read in your press, so I'm going to, I'm going to take that for whatever that's worth. Cause I know how these press releases sometimes are written without you guys knowing anything that's in them, but, but it, it says that, that you, that a lot of times Marcus comes into, into the music with lyrics that are very deep in meaning. And a lot of times you have no idea what he's writing about is a, is that true? And B, if that is true. Are you comfortable with that or is it just easier to go with it than to try and decipher if what he's saying is what you would want to say musically? Uh, look, that's that's very true. I think Marcus is a, is an unbelievably unique talent. There's no two ways about it. I think he's, the style of his voice, um, the melodies he comes up with and the way, not just the melody, but the way he phrases them, as well as the way he plays guitar and the way he phrases his guitar. He's like, he's a kind of really sort of eclectic mix between Hendrix and Page, um, yet he's just got this sort of punk or real feralness to his playing that just makes him really unique. He's got a looseness like Page, but he, man, he can play like, you know, you don't often hear it on, on the albums, especially on this new album. There's very little, for whatever reason, just the way we were writing, there was less really full-on leads on it. But, man, he, he does things in the rehearsal space that just beg a belief. He's just an unbelievable player and, and, and an incredible talent. So when he writes lyrics, and they're very unique as well, you know, sometimes he sort of tells us where he's coming from, but other times we've got no idea. And, you know, I never question it or sort of say, hey, that word's a bit weird. You know, it's just whatever he, however he interprets what he's trying to say. He says a lot of it's abstract and just comes from from sort of different thoughts. And when he writes them, he, he does it purely off the cuff and okay. doesn't spend too much time agonising over lines. They just naturally flow out of him in a in a sub or unconscious sort of thought pattern, and it just it just works. He's just you know he's he's trippy. It's really worth <laughs> reading. The, it's great for us when me and Tony finally sit back and read the lyrics and kind of go, "Oh, is that what you're saying? I didn't even know that's." <laughs> or what does that mean? And sometimes he'll tell us, and sometimes he goes, "I don't know. It just came out, and it just it just really fits." And it means something, but I don't know what. So I like that. Marcus, oh, sorry to interrupt you. Oh, I, I won't go, but Marcus also says with songs, he feels like um, a band is just a conduit. He believes that it's it's out there and you just have to channel that through you, through the energy you have as a band playing. Sure. Now, whether it's true or not, it's I, I like to sort of think that that concept is true. So you just kind of roll with it and see what happens. Absolutely. Are you are you as a band comfortable with the constant comparison that everybody is going to throw at you of Black Sabbath? You know, because on the one hand, obviously there's there's no greater compliment a band could have it doing what you do than to be compared to Black Sabbath. At the same time, it also puts a lot of undue 
undue comparison to you because it doesn't allow people, at least in my mind, it doesn't allow people to fully judge what you're doing. It, it what, And I've always said this, not just about your band, about any band compared to any other band that's had huge success. When you get constant comparisons to it, people will only compare until you don't sound like that song that they like. And then they stop and they write you off as not as good versus versus just accepting what you do for what you do. Yeah, look, it doesn't worry me. Um, if uh, no one, there's no band that can ever exist ever again that is as good as Black Sabbath. It's just not possible. Um, they're just, to, you know, Iommi's riffs are like McCartney and Lennon's melodies, you know what I mean? Like they're just, everyone was brilliant. How do you do that? You're like, you know, it's just, so they're the absolute forefathers of, you know, metal. They started it. They were the best at it. Um, we've been described a lot of ways. One that I thought was interesting, I once heard somebody say, uh, it's like if Motorhead were playing Sabbath, but with the rhythm section of early ACDC. Now, not that we're as good in any way as any of those bands, but it sort of shows that we have the simplicity of our rhythm section mixed with the feral chaos and mongrel of Motorhead playing Sabbath riffs. So if you kind of blend all that together, for me personally, they're the three greatest musical entities of all time. So if someone's going to compare you to those three, then that's not a bad way to go. <laughs> exactly. Could have been a lot worse. They could have said you you had the look of poison and the sound of, you know, I don't know, Motley <laughs> Crue or something. You know, could have gone those options would have been way worse <laughs> <laughs> no question man well um well joel i am a big big fan and i'm encouraging everybody to check out a driftwood cross it is the the latest release from witch skull when does it come out exactly it comes out friday your time so i think that's saturday here um so uh what day is it today what day is it oh it's thursday it's wednesday there so i think friday u.s time it, it, it comes out okay excellent well people should definitely check it out it is an album that is absolutely killer and um i'll tell you what man to to wrap this one up why don't you uh pick a song and we'll play it we'll play a little piece of it to to take people out and you know maybe tell us a quick story about it uh look Maybe have a listen to This Silent Place. That's what we've done the new video for. And, again, it's just interesting that that was the only take we did of the song. Every other track had an additional version or so. But this one we played once. We didn't think it was going to even possibly make the record, and it's the first release. And it's the most – it's probably the most different-sounding song we've we've ever done. So, yeah, maybe have a listen and, and see what people think. All right, well, let's check it out right now. It's Witch Skull right here on Aftershocks.
Thanks for listening to Aftershocks. For more episodes, go to our website at www.aftershockspodcast.com. Visit us on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages for more news and information on the podcast. And be sure to subscribe, listen to, and review all episodes on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all other podcast platforms. For your music listening pleasure, visit our website or go to www.shockwavesradio.com. For all comments and questions, please email us at info at aftershockspodcast.com.